Hello and welcome to another episode of TOTS. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. Today on the show, we have Kara Golden. She is the founder of Hint and the host of the podcast, The Kara Golden Show. Kara, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you. I've got uh, my undaunted hat on Looking today, sharp. so thank you for that one. And I've got my, my Hint water ready to go, just in case my mouth gets dry. Uh, I wanted to have you on because uh, probably about five or six years ago, my family found Hint water and we started you know, trying it out and we put it in our little mini fridge and everyone that came over was trying it and we just absolutely fell in love with it. And so now we probably get like four cases a month. It's it's definitely a little bit of an addiction. And so I was like, you know, who better to have on the show than the person who brought us this this water? So uh, very I, excited to have you on. I appreciate that. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's a great story to be able to hear that from from people that that's how they you know, they found it and that's how we connected. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's awesome hearing from customers too. I think overall that knowing that people love your product and want to know the backstory and want to understand sort of who developed it. I mean, I think that that's frankly the case for so many people today, certainly millennials, um, you know, Gen Z coming up too. I think they they want to yep. know the stories behind the brands that they support. And I think it's, I don't think that's going away anytime soon. Yeah, I would agree with you. So I was looking over some of uh, your resume and, and your LinkedIn and what you've done in the past. And you've had a pretty impressive career even before Hint. How did you start and and where did you go before Hint? Yeah, so I I actually I started my career. I grew up in Arizona. I started my career in uh, wanting to go into journalism, and uh, but it's one of the stories I share in my book, Undaunted, that I I left Arizona State University. I wanted to be a journalism major. I wanted to write for a magazine. Nobody was coming on my campus uh, that I wanted to work for, and. Uh, and Fortune Magazine was kind of my my dream. I was a minor in, in finance, and uh, I decided that the best way to actually go get a job is to show up. And so first I wrote a letter to the managing editor of Fortune, and I said why I wanted to work for him. And he wrote back and said, hey, you know, you sound like you really understand Fortune. And, and uh, I had shared that I never really understood finance my finance classes until I started reading Fortune magazine and I wanted to go work somewhere where I thought people could really inspire and teach. And uh, anyway, he said, if you're ever in the New York area, let me know. Well, that's my, that's all I needed to go and buy a plane ticket, uh, use my babysitting <laughs> money from, you know, summer job money. And I bought a plane ticket and decided I'm going to go out there and marched into the HR offices. And I said, Hi, I I love to. I have this letter from Marshall Loeb, and I'd love to work here. And anyway, that didn't work out, but I did something else that I think uh, more people should do, which is when you see the the nose coming and you don't know what next. I I thought, what else can I do? I can say, is there any other jobs in the building? And uh, the head of HR said, well, there's one at Time Magazine. I. Went and interviewed at Time, and uh, 
I think the only reason why my boss, Brooke, hired me was because she thought that my story was just so out there, like that I went in a masthead and wrote to Marsha Loeb and she thought I was funny. <laughs> she wanted me, she wanted to hire me. And, yep. um, and so I, you know, had a mini career. My first job out of college was at, was, you know, inside the time and life building in New York city. I thought I was, I mean, I was a rock star. I was an executive assistant, nothing super fancy. Um, but I was, I was super happy. I loved going to the time and life building every, every morning. I was very proud. And, a couple of years later, I was recruited out of there to go to what now would be termed as a as a late stage startup called CNN. Um, it's crazy to think that CNN was only forty <laughs> percent of households. You know, Ted Turner was um, mostly living in Atlanta, but he'd grace our offices at and and uh, walk the hallways now and then. And and um, you know, I, I think like that was sort of my first taste of entrepreneurship where I saw somebody who, I mean, it, it was pretty crazy to think back on now that CNN was maybe 12% uh, outside of, of the U.S., but it was 40% of households had had CNN. And, you know, here's this guy with a Southern accent coming, walking around and putting stakes in the ground, not literally, but figuratively, um, saying everyone needs news, that we're in a global space. You shouldn't just have access to news from your own views, your own country. Uh, you should know what's going on in the world. And, you know, some days we believed him. Some days we didn't, right? We thought, ah, it's too far out there. It's too early. It's too this. But Finally, you know, the sort of tipping point of of CNN was really when there was a country um, that learned that they were being bombed. And uh, and, you know, they called the White House and they said, we understand we're being bombed. And, uh, you know, they were watching CNN and that's what put CNN on the map. This is in the early 90s. And, you know, that's a story of you're a little crazy to most people. You you, peop, you have doubts. You probably have your own doubts and everybody else is doubting you. Um, but it's uh, you've got to keep those stakes steady in the ground and um, and figure out how to continue moving forward until it happens, right? Until you get that um, tipping point, that hockey stick, whatever it is. And every great brand has those stories. There was like one or two things um, you know, that happened that really kind of, um, you know, moved it to that next level. I met my husband in New York. Um, he was in law school at NYU and, uh, met in a bar. Um, my kids love like hearing that, that their parents have been married 26 years and they met in a bar down in the village. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> it can happen. And, uh, and there's hope. yeah, there's hope. And, uh, the bar is still there. It's called Down the Hatch. And um, anyway, we moved out to San Francisco and primarily for he wanted to do technology law. And so we got engaged and I moved out. Wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in media or not, um, but I had had a computer in college, um, the iMac. I used my babysitting money and summer job money to buy an iMac and I was fascinated with this guy, Steve Jobs. And I just, you know, most of my friends weren't. I just thought that 
the design and the coolness factor of what he had developed was pretty unique and neat. It was smaller than other computers. It was just much more graphically pretty and interesting. And so I had sort of read whatever I could on, on Steve Jobs. And when I came to Silicon Valley, that's why I associated San Francisco and Silicon Valley with Apple. Uh, moved here in 19, end of 1994. And uh, when my husband was working in his, you know, first year law, law graduate, um, law associate, that's when I thought, I'm going to just start informationally interviewing and figure out what other brands are around here. But in my research, I found this brand that was, uh, that was actually a Steve Jobs idea that was a spin out of Apple. And there were five guys that had worked for Steve Apple decided to not continue with the project. And so they had mm. spun it out into a company. It was called Two Market. And they were doing CD-ROM shopping. And I thought, I know nothing about tech or computers or, you know, these discs or how it all happens. But I love to shop. And I thought, if they'll actually take my cold call and I can take these guys to coffee. I didn't know if there was a job there or not. I was just intrigued. I thought if nothing else, maybe I'll meet somebody who would go have beers with me or something. You know, I didn't know anybody in San Francisco. I just wasn't really like aiming too high or too low. I had no idea really what I was doing, but I was going to go and learn. And when I did that, that's when they started, they were really intrigued with CNN and Ted Turner. Here, these guys had worked at Apple for Steve, and I was intrigued, but they were like, what's what's Ted Turner like? I mean, he's sort of godlike that he's like starting this thing, and he was in ad sales, and then he got into developing it. And again, I had experience. I didn't work, you know, side-by-side Ted every day, but it was like a, I had experience of seeing somebody that seemed somewhat normal. I mean, he was crazy, but he was, but he was, you know, human, right? And so- I think after being, um, you know, kind of explaining sort of some of the experiences and what I had seen there, they said, well, maybe you can help us. Like we're looking for somebody who can cold call these catalogers and these retailers. And instead of saying, oh, I know nothing about retail, I, you know, said, maybe, like, what would I do? And they said, we don't really know how to make money yet. I'm like, wait, what? You guys don't know how to make money yet? You're just building a product? (laughs) And I mean, it was just, it was crazy. And so I'll never forget, I didn't really even know I was interviewing, but I'll never forget one of the questions that one of the people asked me that was, you know, they were getting ready to give me a job offer. And they said, do you think you can contribute here? And I thought, yeah, I think I could. I mean, I have lots of ideas. It sounds really fun. I have no idea how to get into talking to the CEO of The Gap, but what the heck? Like, I mean, what's yeah, the worst that can happen? I can get fired and, you know, at least I'll be doing <laughs> something and, you know, whatever. So took that job. And within a couple of years, one of our investors, America Online, acquired us. And suddenly I'm inside of another late stage startup called America Online. America Online was my first experience, first of all, of being part of an acquisition, um, but also uh, first experience of, of, uh, you know, being in kind of an underdog. I guess CNN was kind of an underdog situation, but it almost seemed a little bit different than like, 
you know, ABC or NBC network television. This was the case where Prodigy and CompuServe, these online services, were were like ahead of ahead of America Online, and so he was kind of America Online was sort of the underdog, but still they acquired our company, and so I was going to be there for at least a year, and so I thought like, what can I do to actually make it better and be number one, right? Right, and so I was given the role of. Uh, vice president of e-commerce and shopping partnerships. Um, I was the youngest VP in the company. I was one of the few women. Again, had no experience. I just was willing to just go do whatever. And crazy time watching that company grow. And after seven years, it was a billion dollars in revenue to AOL. Um, You know, a couple hundred people um, that I'm managing remotely. Uh, None of that was it was being done. I was still living in San Francisco. None of that was sort of commonplace amongst corporations. Uh, but yeah, remote work was like not, it was not around at that point. I don't no. think anybody had and, ever done it to that extent. Yeah. I mean, you had like, I don't know, like salespeople here and there that would do it, but in general, it just wasn't so commonplace. And that's sort of how I was building this team and it was successful. And all of that. And so after seven years, I had, I had kids who were young and I just felt like, you know, I guess a little bit of the finding your balance and I just didn't want to miss out. And I was pissed, you know, when I'd have to go to the airport in the mid in the morning and kind of hand my kids over to a nanny. And I just thought I'm never going to get this back. And I, I really want to, I don't want to change every diaper, but I, you know, I want to be able to (laughs) Right. Like be around a little bit. And there's plenty yeah. of tech jobs in Silicon Valley. Why don't I try and figure that out? And that's when I started really being a mom for a few years. And not that I wasn't a mom, but I was doing really paying attention. I was grocery shopping, wanting to feed them the best things. Um, I was looking at different products like diapers, trying to, you know, figure out what's the best one, all of those things that new parents do. And it was during this time that I also started looking at ingredients and I would, I would never put the ingredients in my kids' bodies that I was putting in my own bodies. And I never realized that until one day I was looking down at my Diet Coke and I just thought, why do I think this is healthy and good for me? And the only thing I could come up with was the word diet. And I started thinking, have I been just fooled by, you know, this this word? Are there other words like this? Again, I didn't have a job. So here I am like right. sitting here thinking about the stuff. I like go to the grocery store, all, you know, start to really look at what are the other words that are out there that maybe aren't that great for people. Things like vitamin, vitamin water had just was super hot. And, um, but then I also started looking at these industries too, like the diet industry and also categories within beverage that were, you know, definitely geared towards like diet soda geared towards tricking consumers into believing that they were healthier, healthier than they were. And that's that's some shady marketing. Yeah. Like I started thinking on the one hand, it's smart. On the other hand, is it, is it in the best interest of me as a, as a human, as a mother, as a, you know, 
consumer, all of that stuff. So that's when I I really started thinking, okay, I'm not going to drink diet soda anymore. And I'm going to start drinking water and I'm just going to see what happens. And in two and a half weeks, I lost over 20 pounds weight that I gained over the course of having kids. Um, But also I had terrible adult acne that cleared up and I, you know, suddenly my skin was clear. And I had always thought like what you put on your skin is really what happens to your skin. Maybe it's hormones, all like that stuff. But I never really thought about what I ate or drink might actually have an effect on my skin. And I started thinking about my basic, you know, biology classes and, and how, you know, your skin is the biggest organ and, and how, you know, I was sort of fascinated by this whole topic, but there was one problem. I wasn't going to go back to drinking diet soda, but there was one problem still, which was, I was so bored with drinking plain water and I was thirsty. So I wanted to drink water. And so I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in water. And I never really thought of, you know, even when I was making that in my kitchen, that it would I become an entrepreneur or I'd go do my own startup. Like people always say, you know, you worked at these incredible, you know, startups where you work directly or indirectly for these great entrepreneurs. I didn't work for them because I wanted to learn from them in to in order to become an entrepreneur. I think it's super helpful um, that I did. But I think more than anything, what I realized is some really basic things. Like if you just don't start, then it'll never happen. Um, right. If you, you know, you're going to have failures You're uh, along the way. Um, hopefully you'll have more successes. You got to, you know, learn from your mistakes. You've got to be flexible. You've got to, you know, sure. all of those type of things and stay connected to the consumer, all of those things. Mm-hmm. I think really allowed me to be confident enough to go start my own company. So Hint is a, as you alluded to in the beginning, an unsweetened flavored water um, that is today a quarter of a billion dollar company. It's in, it's the largest privately held non-alcoholic beverage that doesn't have a relationship with Coke, Pepsi, or Dr. Pepper Snapple. And it's, um, and it tastes great and people get healthy just by- enjoying water and they don't it is surprisingly good yeah for for not having anything in here except for you know natural flavors from fruit and it just being water it is it is shockingly good and i think the other important thing too that you mentioned is that it's privately owned it's not affiliated with any of these massive brands that seem to own like every other company that's out there. And I think a lot of consumers, like you said, they're looking at the back story and the history of these brands. And when they look at Hint, they're like, you've got a female founder, a mom, and you really, it seems like you created this to solve a problem that you were having, which I think is the the strongest, you know, product valuation that you can ever have is like, yeah, like I created this for people like me and myself. And that's yeah. why it works. And, you know, and it's funny because I've been asked this a bunch, like, did you always know that you wanted to start a beverage company? If you ask anybody who 
you know, has known me for years, went to college with me. I was a huge Diet Coke addict, right? Like I used to go to <laughs> 7-Eleven and Circle K and fill up my super big gulps. And I was always drinking. So it's sort of comical to so many people because I was that girl that they remembered always had my, you know, super big gulp in hand. So certainly like if I was going to start something, I think most people would have thought I would go work for Coke or something. They, you know, it was, right. that was or where a my- sugary soda company. Right. But I think for me, <laughs> my interest and my passion when I was in that mode after I had been in tech, after I'd been in media was, was really health. And I realized that if you don't have your health, it doesn't matter what your gender is or how old you are or, um, you know, your socioeconomic background. I mean, it's, it, your life sucks. Right. And I think there's no, I think more and more people know that through COVID, right? Like, it's like, you've got to, you've got to look at what you're feeding yourself and, you know, there's all the rest of the stuff around vaccines and masks and whatever you believe around that. But I think it's, it really, there's a lot that you can do to kind of make yourself as healthy as possible. And, you know, you don't have to be a PhD to figure this stuff out. So that was right. really, you know, the main reason why I wanted to to do what I did was because I thought if I can actually create a product that's going to help a lot of people get healthy. I mean, it's something that's really hard for people and there are industries that make a lot of money off of it. And I guess it's fine to make money off of, you know, that concept. But when you're not actually doing what you're saying you're doing, that's where I have a big issue. And, you know, and I, again, I don't think it's doing something for society. I felt like I could do something that actually helped people. Yeah. That's so interesting that you mentioned that because I think, um, one of the issues that I've had and, and, you know, everyone has opinions and, and issues with different things, but, one of the issues that I've had in terms of um, how the U.S. especially has looked at COVID is the messaging around like if you are overweight or if you're really unhealthy or if you have a bad diet, you should probably try and fix that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I didn't start hearing that from any you know, news sources until the last like two months. And I'm yeah. like, we've been in this for two years. Nobody's suggesting like, hey, switch that Diet Coke to water. And, uh, you know, maybe you should go outside and get some sunlight or exercise, or maybe you should include more, you know, veggies and fruits in your diet. It, it was like completely forgotten. And yeah. it's not like these are like massive changes that you have to go through. I mean, of course, taking the first steps does feel massive, but it was so weird to me that I was like, the, the easiest thing that you can do to prevent yourself from having a serious COVID issue is to just be a little bit healthier and they, you know, it's supposed to make you like times and times and times over better protected from COVID, but there was no push towards that. Well, and I think the, the other thing that I think hasn't been highlighted too much is, you know, type two diabetes has grown significantly, not only in the U S but in the, in the world. And the biggest problem today is that with that growth, um, people can't afford insulin. And, you know, yeah. and and so there are people who have type two diabetes. There's many un- undiagnosed people with type two diabetes as well, but, you know, you can't afford 
the insulin because insulin is very expensive and a lot of insurance companies aren't paying for it. And so one of the things that the Biden administration is trying to do is to cheapen um, cheapen the insulin that's out there and get drug companies to do that. Okay, that sounds fine. But at the end of the day, why in the last 20 years, a little shy of 20 years, do we have more cases of type 2 diabetes? Is it because we've gotten better at sort of figuring out that this is actually a disease? Maybe. Um, type 1 diabetes you're born with, type 2 diabetes you're, you acquire. Um, they don't really understand everything about it, but it's not something that, you know, you were dealing with as a toddler for most people. Right. It's getting younger and younger. But, you know, I think most people think of it as a sentence that they're going to have to deal with. But there's a lot of people who have reversed type 2 diabetes just by figuring out, you know, what they're doing. It's not to say that they don't stay on insulin when they need it. But we, we've had tons right. of people who have, you know, reached out to us who have said, you know, I had to stop drinking diet sweeteners. And like, that was like the key thing yeah. that just kept spiking my blood sugar levels. It's not, you know, and that's the thing that's really kind of shame, shameful, frankly, is that I think so many people know that candy bars or you know, things that are like, they know to watch that stuff. It's the stuff that's calling yeah. itself diet or healthy perception versus healthy reality. It's really tricky for people. It's a huge and issue. They, right? And they don't think that it's that it's an issue. And so, you know, I think as it relates to COVID, um, you know, if you've got type 2 diabetes and you end up in the hospital with COVID, you know, it's not good. It's, it's, a, it's a really no. bad thing. And so instead... You should be trying to figure out what are ways to reverse this type two diabetes and, you know, and see if you can, because if you don't try, right. you won't. And, and that is the thing that right. I hear from so many people and it's not, you know, eating more broccoli necessarily or doing mm. something, you know, there's lots of ways you can drink hint. We have lots of people who are diabetics who drink hint. We also have people who don't have diabetes who drink hint. And I think it's just, that's the message that I think we need to get out to people right. is try and find those good products that don't have a lot of junk in them that aren't trying to trick mm -hmm. you into believing. And again, being able to found a company that is around that whole concept, I think is, is, um, it's awesome. Yeah. I like that a lot. And I know you're a big ingredient person. Have you ever seen those comparisons that they'll do between, um, like the same food brand and the same food item, but it's in like the UK or it's in the United States. Have you seen one of those before? Yeah. Yeah. Those are insane. Uh, the biggest one I can think of uh, that I just saw the other day was like ketchup and I think it's Heinz and it was like the ketchup that they have in the UK versus the ketchup that they have in the US. And you look at the one in the UK and it's like five ingredients. It's like mm -hmm. salt, vinegar, tomatoes, water, and something else. And then you look at the one in the US and it's like process this and this, you know, chemical name that you've never heard of and all of this. And then it's like, yeah, you've also got tomatoes and water in there, but you've got sugar, you've got all this stuff. And it's like, I think that's another issue that people run into is those hidden ingredients that that they just never pay attention to because they're assuming that, well, it's, safe. it's ketchup. Yeah. Right. It's ketchup. It's safe. So it's going to be tomatoes and water and vinegar and whatever. But when you look at that label and you don't recognize a single ingredient on there, that's 
that's a huge problem. And I think it might also have to do with regulation. Like we just don't have the same regulatory controls here. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, one of the ingredients that is sort of my pet peeve, and it's primarily in in uh, products that are, are not ingestible, but there's you know some cosmetics product too, but especially in hand soaps, it's this preservative called SLS, and um, and it's usually one of the last ingredients on a label. And uh, interestingly, a lot of teenage girls who have gotten acne know about SLS because it's something mm. that a lot of people are allergic to, but a lot of people don't think of it in their soap. So there's brands that you know, are natural and started off right in the right way. And then over time, they start to add this SLS to it. And um, and lots of people, even if you barely touch your face, like will break out from SLS. And it's a very common, it's a very common um, thing. And so I've been fooled even by it, even though there's certain brands that I've loved for years, but then they start putting SLS in it. And I just think like the fact that they don't have to check in with any, whether it's, you know, the FDA or the cosmetics or whatever to sort of, you know, say, hey, we reformulated. They just add it quietly. and Or um, update the consumer. Yeah, they don't update. And so I'll just look at it and I'll be, you know, super disappointed and because they they change. and And that's you know, that's the thing. It's like consumers really just need to pay attention to that stuff. So I feel like I've learned so much over the last like 17 years about products and, you know, is it safe? I don't know. Like it, it's safe for U.S. standards. And but even like sunscreen, I developed a sunscreen a few years ago. I started reading about this ingredient called oxybenzone and it's uh, not acceptable in products outside of the U.S. Yet the FDA uh, allowed it to be in cosmetics, even though in the late seventies, the center for disease control said it may actually enhance cancer cells. So it was in pretty much, you know, every major part of the world that had sunscreen was discontinuing any products that had this ingredient in it, but the U S said Except it was fine. The US. And, and, you know, we had the highest rates of skin cancer and, you know, I care about skin cancer. I'm a redhead. I had way too much sun in Arizona. Like I'm thinking, <laughs> what have I done, you know, for years? And so I wanted to create a sunscreen that didn't have this this ingredient in it that also wasn't pasty white. Like a lot of these zinc right. oxide ones, I was like, no, I want it to be clear. I don't want to smell like a coconut running around, you know, that I've just been at the beach. And so we created these sunscreens that are just awesome and also very affordable. That was the other thing. Like I found some that I liked in dermatology offices, but they were like, you know, over $60 a bottle. And I thought, yeah, I just want to wear so sunscreen. Expensive. Yeah. Like I, I don't want, you know, it doesn't need to have antioxidant. Like I just want to wear sunscreen right. to protect myself from the give sun and not that get sunburned. works. Yeah. That's yeah, it. Give me something that, that works. That's not going to give me cancer. Yeah, for less than 20 bucks a bottle. So that is really the theme of Hint. It's like for, you know, primarily we've been, Hint has been a water company, but I also thought if I can develop products that really help people to understand the overall mission is help people get healthy and in an affordable way, um, you know, we're not 
making 10x margins off of all the products. It's like if we really right. want consumers to gain health, then I like that's a great gig, right? Like I'll feel really good about yeah. about that and very positive. So so that's what we've done. I love that. That's awesome. It's I think it's also good uh, like we've been talking about when people look behind the brand and they see, you know, a founder that started things because they didn't like what was currently out there. So you've got that passion. And then it's also like we we started with water, but then we kept innovating. Like, uh, you know, I have uh, you sent me a bunch of goodies that that I didn't even know that you guys made. So I have my hint lip balm here and then I have the uh, the sunscreen downstairs, the hand sanitizer. I just think when you take that philosophy of there's got to be a better way to do this and also a way that's not going to break the bank and then you diversify with that, I don't think you can go wrong. I think that's that's amazing and it really supports a lot of people. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting. Again, it we didn't intend to launch these products at Hint to be the focus of the company. I think it was more a way to let consumers know that that's what we're up to. And it, it's worked. I mean, we've had so many people who have maybe seen Hint Water, maybe they just don't drink water or don't want a product like Hint yet. And then they get the sunscreen and they, they're they like, oh, this is great. Wait, isn't that that water company? Wow, that's kind of unique, <laughs> right? It sort of yeah. wakes them up a little bit. And then they come back to the water. And most of those people, if you like a, if you like a, you know, brand, and that's what it really speaks to then. And you really understand it and you trust it and you believe in it. Maybe, you know, the backstory, all of those things, then you start to open your eyes to sort of other things that they're doing and their purpose for doing it. And so you become very grateful uh, for that relationship with the brand and thankful for them sure. being around. And there's, there's a, there's a lot to be said about that, but I think, um, you know, that, that that's really what we've seen in, in developing um, products. And we've seen since we developed a product that didn't have oxybenzone in it, we saw many sunscreen companies start to put that on the front of the bottle, no oxybenzone. And I remember the first time that happened, one of our customers said, you guys were like the first ones to make me aware. And now there's yep. like, somebody's knocking it off. And I'm like, actually what you're describing is we're changing an industry. We're showing yeah, the sunscreen exactly. industry that we're done. I don't care if the FDA is approving oxybenzone in products like, you know, consumers in our opinion shouldn't have it. And so, and so yeah. if, if there's a choice out there, if there's bigger companies, you know, that want to go and develop competitive products, go for it. Like we're doing what we're doing. And if, if I can wake up and think that we made a difference, that we led an industry to do something a little bit differently, then I'm good. That's amazing. So, well, Hey, Kara, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had a great time and, uh, I think the listeners are going to enjoy hearing about your career and hint, thank uh, you. where can they find your stuff, your show, your new book that just came out? Where can they find all that? Yeah. Everywhere. Amazon's easy for all of it. Uh, all of our products, the book is called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, whether you want to be a beverage executive or an entrepreneur uh, or 
just are curious about the lifestyle, uh, some of the challenges, um, getting over hurdles, whatever it is, the book is great for that. And um, and then also pick up a case of Hint, of course, if you haven't had uh, the water, it's super yummy and some of the other products too. And I'm all over social at Kara Golden with an I, it's K-A-R-A-G-O-L-D-I-N. And uh, of course, hopefully you'll get a opportunity to listen to my podcast, The Kara Golden Show, and I interview amazing entrepreneurs that have done great stuff. We always get into the failures and some of the challenges that they've had, and and um, it's it's a lot of fun. A lot of learnings go on, so definitely, hopefully, you'll you'll come listen. Awesome. Yeah, make sure you go check out her show after this one. I will include all of the links to her book, Hint, and then the show in the show notes so you can click into there. If you'd like to listen to more Tots podcasts, you can do so easiest at our website. It's totspodcast.com. Super easy, super creative name, right? Um, if you'd like to check us out uh, elsewhere, our big three are Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on social media at Totscast. Best thing to follow is our Instagram for updates and new episode releases. That's going to do it for our episode this week, and I'll see you next time. Bye.